0: On this week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation, we sit down with Melissa Vincent, Executive Director of Pipeline Entrepreneurial Fellowship. This recording was part of our IO Live series, and Melissa and I sit down and talk about the people, the resources, and the companies making the Midwest a great place for startups to grow and prosper. Let's get started. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast to help new innovators navigate what's next. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat into what it takes to learn, grow, and thrive in today's world of accelerating change and uncertainty. Join us as we explore, engage, and experiment with the best and the brightest innovators, entrepreneurs, and pioneering businesses. It's time to get started. Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest with us today. This is part of our IO Live series, which is our virtual conversation series to talk innovation and entrepreneurship of our insideoutside.io platform, where we have our podcast and newsletter and ongoing events like this. So I'm super excited to host Melissa today. Melissa is a good friend. She's the executive director of Pipeline. So uh, welcome to the show, Melissa.
1: Brian, thank you so much. I love it when I get to chat with you.
0: I'm excited about this conversation. Before we get too far, I always like to thank our sponsors. Today, our sponsor is the Ewan Marion Kaufman Foundation. They are a private nonpartisan foundation based in Kansas City, Missouri. They seek to build inclusive prosperity through entrepreneur-focused economic development. They've been a huge help to a lot of things going on, including Pipeline, I believe they're a sponsor for. People are interested in finding out more about Kauffman. You can go to Kauffman.org or check them out at Kauffman FDN on Facebook and Twitter. And so huge shout out to our sponsors uh, for making things like this happen and having conversations that make Midwest entrepreneurs even better. I was going to say you're (laughs) new to Pipeline, but you were new from the standpoint of you started Working at pipeline right before the pandemic. It seems like that's a short time ago, but it seems now we're what almost two years into this thing. So it's pandemic years. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. The pandemic years. But I wanted to have you on because I think pipeline has been one of those proven things in the ecosystem that has helped entrepreneurs across the Midwest here. And I wanted to get you on to talk about, you know, what have you seen, what's different, and, and more importantly, what's gonna happen moving forward. So maybe let's start the conversation with Tell us a little bit about what Pipeline is, for those who may not know about it, and where we're at right now.
1: I would love to. Yes. So I have been there for, as you mentioned, it'll be two years next month. So it's kind of crazy because it feels sometimes like six months, and other times it feels like 10 years because of the pandemic. So you never know. So Pipeline is a fellowship for high-growth entrepreneurs in the Midwest. We are industry agnostic, so we do everything from bio to ag, you name it, everything in between. And do not take equity in the organizations that we work with, and so we're different in that way as well. And we focus on serial entrepreneurs because they have the greatest economic impact on the region. When you focus on someone who's going to get right back up if they have a failure, and if they succeed, they're going to get back up, start another company, and invest in the community.
0: Pipeline's been around for a number of years. It's actually started even prior to me starting in Motion, in that I think you have over one hundred and forty or one hundred and fifty entrepreneurs that have gone through the program. It's had an economic benefit. Twenty yes. seven hundred employees, I think, are are based in Kansas and Missouri and, and Nebraska because of the founders that have been part of Pipeline. Your founders have raised over six hundred million dollars in capital since joining Pipeline, and it's this flywheel approach. So, you know, what started mm-hmm. ten or fifteen years ago, now we're seeing some of the fruits of that pay off. So, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in Pipeline.
1: Pipeline was started fourteen years ago. It was started by Johnny Cobb and a number of key people kind of in the Midwest. She was the CEO. And the idea was that there was such, as you mentioned, like 14 years ago, we were in such a different place. There weren't all the, you know, entrepreneurial support organizations that we have now. And so, you know, when she started the organization, it was around this idea that if you came and you brought resources from the coast to the Midwest, and you focused specifically on serial entrepreneurs, Have a massive impact on the region because of what we talked about earlier. They're going to reinvest. They're going to get back up, start another company, and that was really true. So over the last fourteen years, our members are not just creating jobs; they're creating really high-paying jobs. So average salary for an employee of one of our members is fifty-two thousand. So they're creating great jobs. They're creating a lot of them, and they're raising capital and they're staying here in the Midwest. And so, really, over fourteen years that whole concept that we were seeing, if it could be proven or not, if you bring in these resources, what impact would that have if you focused on serial entrepreneurs is proven. So it's like, okay, successful. We've done that. That's really amazing. But then it becomes the question of 14 years later, how things change. Like to your point, we've had both a pandemic and we've had social injustice that's been ongoing that really came to a head last year. So we have all these different things that happened over the past few years, and so I think for us as an organization, we've really looked at, well, how do we respond to that? And I think there's a lot of other entrepreneurial support organizations that are doing the same. How do we step in? How do we be a part of that progress and change that really needs to happen? That's where Pipeline's headed, but we couldn't have gotten there without the legacy that was started 14 years ago by bringing in all these resources and creating this amazing fellowship program.
0: It's been a very important piece of the puzzle. When I started InMotion, I think it was Tears years ago-ish, it was the first accelerator in Nebraska at the time that's equity-based accelerator, but we quickly wanted to tie ourselves with pipeline and get our founders an opportunity to move through the pipeline. And you find those early stage founders, you give them a little bit of capital, you surround them with mentors and investment capital, you help build that. And then you also then connect them into a wider network. I think that was one of the most important things about like an end motion is, you know, we started in Lincoln, Nebraska, but we realized quickly that you can't build a startup ecosystem by yourself. and no. just. The four walls of your own county or city. And so, how do we create opportunities for those founders to make network connections that can help them grow their business wherever they end up? And right. you know, we had some great founders that went through Pipeline. I think Brett Byman, who started with Noble, and now he's with another company, Basic Block. You mentioned that serial net nature of yes. entrepreneurs. Vishal Singh with Quantified Ag, Liz Whitaker with Politics, and that. And now with Brooke Mullen, who's with Sapon, oh. she came through the G Beta program with Generator that we're now working with. So. Those are just some of the things, but maybe let's talk about some of the success stories of some of the pipeline entrepreneurs that have had success based on having access to your program.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that, you know, we're really looking for when we're investing is we're looking at high growth. So they're already at a decent place and then we're really trying to help them get to that next phase of growth to hopefully, like we said, either exit or reinvest in their community. And so some of those are ones that everyone kind of in the Midwest, you know, your Toby Rush with iVerify. So everyone kind of always thinks of Pipeline and like, oh, that was, you know, Toby went through that. But the thing that I love is that we have so many other organizations. So a couple that people know of but may not have realized that their founders went through Pipeline is Shot Tracker, Davion Ross. Yep. So that's a company that is still ongoing, doing massive things in the news, part of the Pipeline program back in the earlier days. Another one, let's go to Nebraska here. We have Blake Lawrence with Open Doors. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, since the NIL law changes, like, I mean, he already was killing it, but now it's like those have just like set him in a whole other trajectory because he can capitalize on college sports now and college athletes. So there've been these really successful founders. And I think that there's a lot of different pieces that in the ecosystem, like what you're doing and what Pipeline's doing it takes more than just one organization to be able to provide the support. You really need layers to that. So you need some groups that are a little bit earlier stage. And then you have Pipeline, which fits in this very unique role of serial entrepreneurs who are high growth, who are looking to exit and get back. It's a very unique spot that we fill. And so really trying to figure out how do we support each other? And I think that's kind of in the Midwest, what everyone's looking at right now. So it's like we have Organizations like yours that have been around for 10 years, Pipelines, teams, like these established organizations that are now looking and saying, okay, we've done this. How do we work better together? Because if we work well right. together, we can do even more. So I think that's kind of the shift that's starting to happen. And I don't know if it's the pandemic that was part of like kind of being the catalyst to that, realizing that we all needed each other and we needed, our entrepreneurs needed more support than one organization could give solo. But when you combine forces, we can do so much more.
0: So let's talk about the program itself. So obviously there are specific things about the program. You go through things over the course of your year and that I think most people think of pipeline and think of the value that's created from the network that's been established and the access to that network. But talk a little bit about the program itself.
1: When you're a fellow in the program, you go through four modules a year. And those are really intense three-day workshops, basically. And they are focused on helping you really scale your company. So the first module that they go through is understanding who your target customer is, which these are all going to sound very like early stage. They're not, I mean, they're digging in super deep to analyze this information. So finding your target customer. The second one is all about your business model and making sure that you have the right business model now that you know who your target customer should be. And the third is telling your story through your financials, which in all honesty is probably the one that everyone fears the most because (laughs) one Understanding your financials is one thing. Telling your story through your financials, nobody wants to do that. And then when they get through that module, they are just able to easily tell your story through their financials. And then the fourth, we just wrapped in St. Louis, was about telling your story and what's your why. So taking all the things that you learned throughout the year, putting that into basically a pitch for an investor or a potential client and being able to tell the entire story of your company in one single pitch.
0: One of the interesting things, because I've been a mentor in Pipeline for a long time, and, I've seen, and the, that. I've seen the evolution of how these companies kind of go through that. And you, know, you mentioned things like just that customer discovery piece, for example, your business model. I think a lot of times we forget that that's not necessarily something that all entrepreneurs understand or know or use. And oftentimes just having that forced function of let's reevaluate, let's make sure that we are in the right business and, and we have the right metrics and the right things that are going on can do such a powerful thing to an entrepreneur because it kind of level sets them, especially when you surround them with other entrepreneurs and other business models and that it gets them thinking and and doing things differently.
1: And we certainly saw that in the pandemic where I think as entrepreneurs were hit across the board, just like everyone else, but realizing when you're the one who is out there as an entrepreneur, it comes to you. It's so, it is lonely at the top. It's especially lonely when you're a serial entrepreneur because we do think a little bit differently. It's that whole, like, ah, knock me down, I'll get right back up and start something else. And if I succeed, I'm going to put myself through this all over again. But I think that in the pandemic, what we really saw was the value of that network and that connection and really being able to lean on other people who were struggling. But because this isn't a program where you go through and guess you've gone through that program, but that's it. You become a member and you're part of this pipeline family they were really able to lean in and support each other in a very unique way. And obviously, Pipeline provided resources and we did a lot of stuff around mental health and wellness. However, that support of that network was so powerful. And you could really see it during the pandemic because there was a safe space to be able to talk about things that you were struggling with that had they not had that network, maybe wouldn't have come up or they wouldn't have felt comfortable talking about.
0: Well, I think everybody was in that boat, you know, reevaluating. <laughs> what they're doing for, who who they were doing it for, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We have a number of people in the audience. If if anybody has a question from the audience, feel free to type it in the chat, or there's a great feature in this Run the World called uh, Grab the Mic. So you can also click the little microphone button and come on stage with us and ask your question directly. Yes. Happy to do that. So yes, we're (laughs) excited to to make this a little bit more interactive. So we talked a little bit about ecosystems. So talk about the different ecosystems that you support. You're in Kansas, you're in Missouri, you're in Nebraska, and obviously the cities are run up. Talk a little bit about the differences in the ecosystems and where you draw your entrepreneurs from.
1: You nailed it. Thank you for you have exactly right. So we are Kansas, Nebraska, and Missouri. Um, And I think everyone always asks the question, like, are you guys going to expand further? And yes, we may at some point. However, right now, there is so much like attention and resources that we know we need to provide just on that three state region that it's super important that we stay there. But those are the areas that we look at. We are actually, we just finished, we've just closed our apps for recruiting, had in all honesty, the best turnout we've had in years. I mean, it, it's interesting because at some point you don't know during the pandemic, are people really starting companies? You know, for some, it might be right. a really difficult time to start a company, but we had such a great, you know, response from them. We're super excited about that. But we see a lot of pockets. So we have Wichita Pockets, We have Lincoln, Omaha pockets, we have St. Louis pockets, and then obviously Kansas City on both sides. And so we see a lot of people coming from there. I think as far as how the different regions, the only thing I can really compare it to, because I feel like I've become entrenched over the last two years here in our three-state region, but when I look at like Oklahoma or some areas that aren't part of that really strong network of ESOs or entrepreneurial support organizations, you know, Oklahoma is further behind than let's say, Kansas or Nebraska, and certainly St. Louis. I think part of that is because they have not brought in outside organizations to come in and help them establish some of the entrepreneurial groups that you need, you need more than just one group in a region. And again, when you've been doing it as long as you know, we have here and in Nebraska, and certainly in Missouri, I think that that's where you're able to, you've been doing it for a while. You realize where you play well, and then you find other people to complement that. And I think when you look at other regions who aren't there yet, they're just trying to figure out who do we even want to bring in. They're not to a place yet where they could even say, oh, here's the part that we do really well. Let's find other organizations to supplement that. So I think that the Midwest, when we're talking about Nebraska and Missouri and Kansas, is unique and really amazing in its ability to work together regionally to create really strong entrepreneurs.
0: Are you seeing fundamental differences or different expertise in, in the different ecosystems? Like, how does the St. Louis compare to a Lincoln or?
1: So, St. Louis has a lot of bio. Obviously, there's BioSTL. So, we see a lot of bio coming out of St. Louis. And then, Nebraska, we see a lot of more animal health resources and obviously healthcare resources as well. And then, Kansas City is this conglomeration of bio and And also Nebraska would be sports tech. I would put that in there too, even though shot trackers here in Kansas. So you have this interesting mixture. And I think along the whole corridor, you have a lot of animal health because we're in that kind of corridor for animal health. And then we have some amazing entrepreneurs who are rural because that's an area that we really have tried to focus on. And so we have rural entrepreneurs who are doing really unique things, you know, in ag and everything else.
0: So talk a little bit about the mentors themselves. What type of mentors do you bring in? How do they work?
1: we love to bring in a mixture of regional mentors like yourself and then national mentors. And we feel like that mix is super important because one regionally, you want people who actually understand the ecosystem, understand the issues of raising capital that are still here. And you know, that we need to address and change if we want to really be able to grow the ecosystem. And then we want people from the coast. So we know that a lot of times what we're seeing is that on the coast, We have PE and VC that are looking to invest here in the Midwest. And so we're able to kind of capitalize on that. And because Pipeline takes our entrepreneurs through such a strong vetting process to even get into Pipeline, it's not the easiest thing to get into, but there is a pretty long process to get in. And then you have a years long fellowship, and then they know they're going to get that extra support. We get a lot of interest from the coast about what our entrepreneurs are doing because you're adding those layers of continued support and resource, which should hopefully help their success rates continue to go up. So that's kind of where we are.
0: And the type of people that you bring in, like a Chris Shipley, who's been on the podcast before and and, and spoken at our events before, people like that who have been in the industry for a long time and can navigate east-west and and in between is is really helpful. for. And even
1: international. I will tell you, I love Chris Shipley. She is so able to help you take you can tell your company's pitch. And we just saw this because she leads our fourth module. And you can tell your entire company's story and you're like five minutes. And and she'll be like, so what I think you're saying is, and she'll like (laughs) completely boil down your company into like a minute. And it's like, oh yeah, that. And it's like, oh my gosh, please tell me I wrote that down. One of my other favorites that I think, it just reminds you of how unique pipeline is in the mentors that we bring in. So Laura Gilcrease, she leads our module three on financials. If you look her up, she's literally credited with starting the tech scene in Austin. And she's just this ridiculous, amazing leader and, you know, ecosystem builder. And now she's in Alberta running the entire Alberta, the province of Alberta, she's running their entire new innovation arm. And so she's just, it doesn't even seem real when you talk to her. I mean, she's just, she can give you stories of companies that, you know, she's been on the board for that have sold for ridiculous amounts and, She's been through so many different things. So it's that level of just resources and expertise and just people who really care about entrepreneurs, who understand the entrepreneurial lifestyle, what that's about, how hard it is, and really care about giving back and supporting our entrepreneurs.
0: I want to shift to COVID. And again, you started right before a lot of this stuff happened. Talk a little bit about how COVID and and the remote nature has changed pipeline and, and changed your entrepreneurs.
1: You know, so I would say there were both good and, you know, difficult pieces. So Pipeline, for anyone who doesn't know, is very, very much an in-person organization. The modules are in person, they're three days. The professional development was always in person. There are all of these pieces that it's like 100% an in-person organization. And then you have a new leader that starts, and then you have a pandemic that doesn't allow anyone to be in person. And so it was really interesting because the downside was, Our fellows had one module, the very first one, and then everything else was virtual. And for me, just research thought was, okay, how does that impact, you know, who becomes a member, who doesn't, or their engagement with each other? And we started with 13 fellows, we finished with 13 fellows, despite the pandemic. And we were very intentional as soon as the pandemic hit to go virtual with resources. So rather than having, you know, a handful of professional development, we went weekly everything from, okay, how do I communicate? What is this pandemic? How do I communicate to my customers and my team? I mean, like things that now it feels like, oh, that was 10 years ago, but it was just <laughs> last year. And so we were trying to really figure out and then PPP loans and all of that. So we just started doing virtual resources. So in that way, I think it was positive because it allowed us to really beef up any type of professional development. I mean, it was just weekly, we're coming at you and we're helping you feel connected. And then After that, I would say the downside was not being able to have those in-person connections. But we just finished our last module for this year, which we had the first two, which were virtual. The last two modules were in-person. And again, we finished with 13, started with 13, finished with 13. So I think really for us, it allowed us to do a whole lot more because we could do it virtually. The transition for an organization that is so heavy on live in-person events. Is probably some of the members who have been around for a while. We're like, "Whoa, yeah. when am I getting to get person?" We'll I heard that man. a lot.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hey, Bob, I saw you uh, grab the mic, and I did have a chance to to click the button. So, if you want to grab the mic, Hello. there you go.
2: Welcome, Bob. Hey, how are you? Here's some other people from the Midwest. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm at Case Western Reserve University. I run something called LaunchNet. We used to be a Blackstone launch pad, which is around the country, and now we're launching it there's five of us at different universities in the area besides that, I'm an entrepreneur in residence at the economic development called Jumpstart and also a young some business incubator. question I had at uh, st louis is i I was working with a guy from Kent State and Melissa I don't know if uh, you know this guy or not in st. Louis Brian Stoyfield mm-hmm. is that bell okay, I was just curious he's a uh, A troublemaker, which in a good sort of way. A
1: disruptor.
2: He he was trying to put rockets into suborbital space for experiments. And because there's so much aerospace in uh, St. Louis, he ended Mm -hmm. up moving down there and hung out a lot with, uh, begins with a C, um, the the big area where everybody collaborates, connects. Oh,
1: I know where you mean.
2: No, no, people in the middle, we just had to work harder. But I think it's turned a lot. Got quite a few friends out in SF. And they're leaving, some of them, just the cost of structure. And it used mm-hmm. to be that a VC said, if I can't have lunch with you without flying somewhere, I don't want to invest. That has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Austin's picked up, as you know, and Miami has picked up. We've picked up a little bit here. Actually, rental costs for homes have yeah. escalated tremendously and inventory has dropped because people were working from here, but a number of people are staying which is good to see. So but yeah, I just wanted to you know say hello. I'm also involved with Techstars a little bit. Yeah. Um, I just had one in Techstars Chicago and then Techstars um, Minneapolis. And so we're gaining that. And then I just went with GSV, Global Silicon Valley, gsv.com if you want to take a look. They just did a $220 million SPAC and they on something called gsvbootcamp.com. We do it now twice a year. It could be helpful for some of the people in your cohort. It's not just EdTech, it's a broader spectrum. And they kind of did it to help during COVID. And now it kind of stuck that they said, hey, this is good. You know, While we concentrate on EdTech for our SPAC, GSV invests in other entities. Plus, this is a good way that people who can't you know, do something in person, physical, can yeah. do this. I've also done a number of t- three times now, startup school. Org, which is run by YC, which has been really helpful. But yeah, the in-person, the um, the two that went to Techstars, one in Chicago that was right in the midst of COVID, so there was mm-hmm. no in-person. The other one went to Minneapolis for Farm to Fork, and mm-hmm. uh, he was in-person, and they've got a, a delivery robot. And it's really, really, really cool. And Ecolab, the company, has helped a lot. I'll put the, the URL here. Awesome.
1: I've been taking notes as you've been talking. <laughs>
2: Yeah, carbonorigins.com, it's um, a grad, again, getting into aerospace, a guy who worked on the Mars rover and some other folks, one who dropped out, that basically you can deliver food in these little carts and you can observe or be kind of like not the driver, but kind of the driver in virtual reality. So those people who don't own a car, who maybe don't have the ability to drive a car can be drivers of this. And we already have 300 people signed up. Wow. Um, is, yeah, to, to drive these vehicles in virtual reality. And we're getting some restaurant pickup. Again, Ecolab has been a great partner in Minneapolis. It's not the best place to have a little cart delivery because when the snow flies, it's, it's going be <laughs> <laughs>
0: to be interesting. Next time. Um, so, so, just spring and so, summertime. But... <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So, but they're, they're working hard. And the other yeah. one that was in Chicago it's called Tundun.com. Yeah, during COVID, I did a hell of a lot of stuff online. I'll give you one more if your entities wanted it. It's called pitchforce.com. They went from being in person only in San Francisco, and they were charged $75 to pitch, and I don't like to pay to pitch. But they would then turn around and buy pizza, beer, and pop. They went to online free, and I've attended almost every week for over a year. And they've got 10 companies and five VCs. These VCs generally were San Francisco-based and now they're all over the place including Austin including New York and they're now that it's virtual they now have other entities pitching from Argentina from oh. Australia from oh, Israel God. and it's a good way to learn how to pitch and see how things are going for people and also things how they're going poorly for people so it's a good way to see a real entrepreneur pitch a real business and so friends of mine and I we would literally watch it and text each other, our votes. And after a while, you get pretty aligned with what the VCs like would
0: tank.
2: do. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. And the downside is you good and all of a sudden you see these very, you both understand, you see these very smart people going, okay, you're in love with your technology, but what's it going to do for the customer? Yeah. How much are you asking for? And then you're going, this is going to burn down. And sure enough, they get a two. Other ones, you go, holy crap, did they hit it? I work with a lot of students and, you know, they're just learning how to do this. And I I send them there and they see, you know, the real people putting it all on the line Mm. uh, to do it. Max, who runs it, he runs a staffing agency and he also helps startups who don't have the finances to maybe pay someone right now, get somebody to work for equity only. And that's how he makes money that you have to pay him like five grand and then a certain percentage after, let's say, six months. Once you put them on a salary, you know, maybe they're going for that Series A or something like that, but they can't get there because they don't have that chief marketing officer. Well, he knows enough people who have had exits and they can do that.
1: That's awesome. I love hearing from other regions on, well, not regions, but just other states that are kind of right next to us, what's going on there and how it's similar, different. And one of the things you brought up about, The VC groups out of San Francisco being like the pandemic really did shift. And I think, you know, when you're talking about who you would you know put capital, that has been, I think, one of the best, biggest shifts. The ability for us to bring capital in from the coast, because to your point exactly, that was not something if you could not do lunch or coffee, there was not capital happening here and you'd have to move. And so it's really allowed us to have a lot of people move back to the Midwest, their roots. And then allow people who would have had to leave previously get to stay here in the Midwest, which is just an enormous benefit that was a byproduct of the pandemic.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the entities who didn't make it into the top five does a reg A. He pitched at Going Public and he didn't make it to the top five. And he did a great job. And I reached out to him. His name is Darren Marble. And he has a show that he he's working with Entrepreneur Magazine. It's called Going Public. Hmm. goingpublic.com. And so my friend is the board director for Gen Global, Jeff Hoffman. We just went through Global Entrepreneurship Week, and yep. I introduced Jeff to Darren. Now, Jeff is one of the advisors and one of the producers on Going Public, but that wouldn't have happened if, again, to go to PitchForce, I would have had to have been in San Francisco that week, and I'm going to like do that maybe twice a year.
0: Well, Bob, thanks for coming on stage. Anybody else have any questions, feel free to put them into the chat. And we have a couple more minutes to keep going. You've changed parts of the program. You're actually creating a new program focused on the diversity and inclusion side of things. So maybe talk a little bit about that part of Pipeline and some of the new things that are happening.
1: Yeah, so super excited to be able to, as I mentioned, there's this great kind of success story of what Pipeline was traditionally for the first 14 years. And without that you know, legacy of success, you can't really add or expand. But because of that legacy of success, and because we were able to successfully say, if you bring in, you know, resources from the coast to the Midwest and you focus on these entrepreneurs, they're really going to scale. And one of the things that we realized in going through the recruitment process during the pandemic was that um, in order to get into Pipeline Traditional, you have to be working on your company full-time. And so during the application process, what we saw were a lot of really great ideas for high growth companies that the person just wasn't able to yet work on their company full time. And when you looked more closely, we realized that there were a lot of those people were from underserved communities. And for us, that is rural, female and minority entrepreneurs. And so the only thing that's holding them back is they haven't had an even playing field to get to a place where they are actually ready to be able to get into pipeline. And so we wanted to do something to address that. And so we created a new program. It's called Pipeline Pathfinder. That is kind of like a starter program to be able to get into the Pipeline Traditional Fellowship. But our hope is that when you go through the program and it starts next year, we just finished recruiting for it, that it will be something that you're either able to run your company full time at the end of it, or that you'll get to a place where you're ready for Pipeline Traditional to really scale to the next level. So that is our hope. Next year will be our first year to pilot it. And then after that, we hope to expand and continue to grow.
0: It's exciting to see changes that are happening across the ecosystem. You know, we mentioned one of the benefits of being an entrepreneur in the Midwest is this camaraderie, Mm -hmm. and its ability to get access to people that you wouldn't normally have access to necessarily in in the big tech hubs in that, where, again, if you find the right person, typically you're one or two degrees separated from getting to the people that you need and appreciate everything that you've done to move it forward and then also take it in new directions. So if people want to find out more about yourself or about Pipeline, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah. So go to PipelineEntrepreneurs.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn, or you can always email me at Melissa at PipelineEntrepreneurs.com. Could we have any longer of an email? Probably not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, thank you again for coming on Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for doing this live. And thanks for all the audience folks that came and participated. We look forward to having future events in that. If you want to find out more about uh, Inside Outside, go to InsideOutside.io, subscribe to our newsletter and, and watch the podcast every week. So Appreciate you coming on, Melissa. Look forward to having further conversations. And thanks very much.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.
0: That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Ardinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.